Welcome everyone to another King Reflections podcast episode. It's number 20 today and we have a special guest down from Victoria, Australia. His name is Ashton Klein and I met Ashton online through social media about a year ago um, and he is has been in the nursing industry for 15 years. He's a lecturer for nursing um, and he's also a student because he's obviously learning a little bit more. He's an ambassador for Alana and Madeline Foundation uh, mainly because he's been brought up in a family domestic violent um, environment but he'll go into more detail about that and it's pretty pretty intense um, so just a heads up warning if it gets too intense feel free to pause um, and we talk about a little bit about his uh, background and about um, his upbringing and his lifestyle um, and just how he came to came about to um, self-development and improving his mental health and we do go into the deep stuff and talk a little bit about uh, the mentalities around mental health so this is a so this was a really good discussion that we had um, and just to get to, into the nitty gritties about um, some mentalities, especially on social media. Anyways, I don't want to keep you in any more suspense, so I'm just going to let you jump straight into the episode. So I hope you get something out of it, enjoy it, and king up. All right, welcome Ashton. Uh, just to give you guys a little bit of context uh, for those that are listening, uh, me and Ashton met over uh, Instagram um, through a... Uh, another page, a not-for-profit page that's supporting men's health. So um, we met through there and yeah, we've known each other for about a year now, I think. Is that right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, welcome Ashton. How are you going? Yeah. Yeah. That's, by the way, that's the longest relationship I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm doing very well, thanks. Uh, Excellent. Thanks for having me, Jenna. <laughs> uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Uh, uh, so I, I'm um, a lecturer in nursing um, at Australian Catholic University. Uh, I uh, am also, um, as part of that, obviously a, a registered nurse um, and my background is um, paediatric intensive care. Uh, so um, I spent uh, 12 years working at the Royal Children's Hospital um, nursing and then um, decided that I would... Um, uh, tackle education um, and now um, have the uh, wonderful task of coordinating clinical placements um, for 1200 students um, across Victoria, um, uh, which is uh, challenging during uh, COVID but times at the moment. Um, uh, but outside of outside of work, um, who am I is, is probably, uh, as I was just saying before, the recording started, uh, one of the most challenging questions you can ask someone because um, I guess it really gets them to think about um, what encapsulates their life and, and you know, uh, puts uh, the, the perspective on them and the onus on them to really describe themselves. And we often rely on others to kind 100%. of describe us um, <laughs> rather than actually think about ourselves. So, uh, but um, I, I like to think of myself, um, I'm, I'm a brother. Um, so I am, uh, I have a, a brother, Grant, uh, who's uh, 27 um, and I have been his prime carer since the age of 15 uh, when we lost our parents. Um, and um, 
I am also uh, a puppy daddy, so I have two uh, wonderful chihuahuas, uh, Louis and Blaze. They're two brothers, and um, I like to we we purchase them two brothers for two brothers. <laughs> That's cute. Um, and <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, I'm also an ambassador for the Alana and Madeline Foundation um, uh, that uh, helps children um, who are impacted by family violence. Uh, because um, I grew up in a, uh, a, a household that experienced family violence, and I um, had a childhood that was um, that was impacted by family violence. Uh, and my father murdered my mother when I was fifteen, um, and as a result of that, we, my brother and I, went into foster care uh, when I was fifteen, and he was six. And um, so I have um, decided to help. Um, children who might be in the same situation as I or in similar situations by um, helping and supporting the foundation that supported both Grant and I when I was 15 um, and becoming an ambassador for them. So um, uh, I um, give back in that way and I, I do a lot of public speaking for uh, the Alana Madeline Foundation, a lot of media coverage for them. Um, and I'm also a student, um, so uh, I'm currently doing um, a, an executive uh, MBA um, and uh, um, exciting times. Excellent. At the moment. That's a, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's let's unpack that as we go. Yeah. First, I want to start off with how long have you been in the, uh, the nursing industry, if that's the right word or the... Yeah, so uh, so I'm still practicing um, to this day. So uh, I um, thirty thirty. Uh, so I'm thirty six years old now. Um, so I um, graduated when I was twenty one. So fifteen years in nursing. Wow. Mm, yeah, it makes me feel very old, actually. <laughs> Uh, saying that out loud and now that it's now that it's recorded um <laughs> yeah so um i guess you've seen a lot throughout those 15 years especially uh, with patients coming in also like you said you started off with the as a a carer mm. was it a yeah so i was i was a carer for my younger brother who um uh my brother grant has end stage kidney disease uh and um he's had that since birth and so when my mother passed away who was his prime carer um i took on the role yeah. of caring for him um and so i guess that's really what drove my interest um in nursing and and really um really actually uh drove my passion for nursing and actually the story of me becoming a nurse um, is actually quite interesting. Quite interesting one because there was a point where Grant was um, being cared for by a particular nurse. His his name was Shane. Um, still remember his name. <laughs> um, and Shane, um, who was only two years out of um, his undergraduate degree cared for us in such a way that showed such compassion um, that I was sitting um, beside Grant uh, in the room. And at that stage, I thought that I wanted to be a police officer. Um, and Shane cared for us in such a way that showed such compassion that I looked at the way that Shane was caring for us. And I thought to myself, I want to be Shane. Um, and 
I want to make a difference in the way that Shane's making a difference to people's lives um, by demonstrating compassion and care um, when people are most at their vulnerable. Um, and uh, so that that changed my whole trajectory in life, um, I guess. And uh, it's interesting that 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 moment was kind of a defining moment, even though I never expected it to be um, in a sense. And Shane will never know uh, wherever he is today. Um, that, hi, Shane, if you're listening, um, but yeah. <laughs> uh, he will he will never know um, that he had that enormous impact on my life and and really drove my passion for nursing in that way. Yeah, hundred percent. Wow. Mm. So then, um, you said you were, you were 15 when mm. your parents. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit about give us a background context of yeah yeah so uh so as i said i grew up in um, a fairly violent household um so from like my earliest memories of um violence i guess uh kind of the age of four and five where um I would, uh, my, my dad would be coming home and I would hear the car coming in the driveway and um, I would hide under the bed because I didn't know if um, we were going to get hit or uh, we were uh, going to have a knife held to our throat or um, be abused in um, a particular way or uh, whether mum was going to be beaten, um, etc. So um, that's kind of, uh, and that kind of continued um, for a long period of time until um, my mum separated from my dad um, when I was 14. Um, and then uh, over the course of kind of nine months, um, he plotted um, her murder uh, and lured her around um, to his house and um, under the, the pretense of cleaning out a a mutually owned caravan that they had and, and trying to divvy up um, some mutually owned property, um, lured her around to the caravan, but he had um, pre premeditated her murder by dousing the caravan in petrol. Um, he pushed her into the caravan, um, stood at the door and blocked her in, uh, lit a match, threw it into the caravan and then locked the door and drove away. Um, and she died um, five hours later as a result of burns to 99% to her body. Um, and um, yeah, we, we never see her again. Um, so that uh, period for us was one where in one foul swoop, we not only lost our mum, obviously, um, mm. but um, we also lost our father, obviously, um, he was imprisoned immediately um, mm. and incarcerated. But um, we also were uprooted from our home three days later. So Department of Human Services came in three days later. And um, because we had no adult living with us um, and we had no family members that could take care of us, um, they basically came in and said, um, you'll need to be moved into foster care um, and removed from this home. And their initial plan was to separate Grant and I. Um, and it's quite ironic, I guess, that the saving grace for Grant and I was that I was the only one that was able to um, 
care for him and his dialysis needs. He was undertaking dialysis at home at the time and I was the only one that knew how to do that. Um, and so that was the only um, saving grace in keeping us together. Um, otherwise, yeah. they were planning to send Grant to Melbourne to a foster home in Melbourne and keep me in country Victoria where we, where it happened. So, um, so that... Um, immediately threw me into um, growing up quite quickly uh, and becoming an adult quite quickly. Um, mm. And as a 15-year-old, uh, I was suddenly thrown into being an adult, um, but with um, my own kind of teenage issues going on and and all of those things that a usual 15-year-old kind of goes through um, yeah. uh, and having to grapple with Department of Human Services and court dates and and then a murder trial that was going on at the time and investigations into that and having to give evidence at that trial and, and all of those things that were kind of happening um, as well as care for um, my very vulnerable um, six-year-old brother at the time um, who relied on me so much. And I think that's why our relationship is, is so important to me um, and remains um the one thing that has gotten me through everything really, because um, without him and him needing me, um, I don't think that I would have survived uh, all of that, to be honest. It's, um, it's funny. I think in life, sometimes the fact that, you know, someone needs you and yeah, they rely on you sometimes just pulls you through. Yeah. I mean, mm. I remember you telling me the story before and it's still, hits hard not knowing how much um loss and how mm. much struggle mm. confusion uncertainty that you would have gone through especially at such a young age especially and as well as your brother at six years old to have his initial carer as his mum, and then now having his brother mm. which i'm sure at the at the that age, um, you guys probably didn't have an exceptionally strong uh, relationship, but now, but then it was more of a now we've got each other. Now we all we, all we have is each other, uh, which would be yeah. It's interesting because we we kind of went from um, brothers where you know we we'd fight and we'd argue and yeah. uh, <laughs> we'd do all of those things that brothers kind of do. And you know, I was fifteen and he was six, and you know, um, my little brother would piss me off, and you yeah. know, you'd. <laughs> you'd argue and whatever else. Um, but then, uh, then I became a father, um, yeah. you know, almost at the age of, of 15 and, yeah. um, and he, he became my son almost. And, and he's, it's funny that, that we've retained that kind of relationship. And, mm. um, I actually, I actually, this is going to sound strange maybe, but, um, I grieve for that, uh, loss of a brother regularly, um, because, um, Sometimes uh, I wish that I had a brother rather than a son and he wishes he had a brother rather than a dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, it's a really hard dynamic and space to be in when you have that relationship at play, I guess, um, to be able to uh, chop and change and slip in and out of, um, especially now that he's a bit older and, you know, we're in different stages of our lives now. Um, he'll always be for me, um, unfortunately for him, that vulnerable six-year-old brother, um, that yeah. needs me, you know, um, and I'll always be 
the one that he goes to for support and and so forth. And so I'm very easily able to slip back into that carer mode or the the helicopter parent mode that I kind of call it um, whenever whenever he needs rescuing, I guess. And so it places me in a very and and him in a very difficult predicament in terms of our relationship and our ongoing. Um, you know, uh, yeah, relationship kind of, um, dynamic. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the foundation that you, uh, support because they support the Alana? What would you- yeah. So the, the Alana and Madeline foundation, um, uh, so you will remember, um, the Port Arthur, um, incident that occurred, um, in 1999, yeah, okay, um, yeah. uh, that could, um, uh, where there was mass, uh, shooting, um, with, um, a perpetrator, uh, literally, um, killing, uh, a large number of people in Port Arthur. Um, one of, uh, the families that was affected by that, um, was, uh, the Mikak family, um, and, uh, Walter Mikak, uh, lost his wife, um, and two daughters, um, Alana and Madeline. Um, and, um, he wanted, Alana and Madeline's memory um, to remain um, pertinent uh, in society and to be um, uh, to be at the forefront of people's minds when it came to um, anyone um, who experiences violence to remember that there is hope. Um, yeah. and that there is support out there. Um, and really that's the fundamental basis of why he um, decided to create the Alana and Madeline Foundation. Um, and so in 2000, when um, our father murdered our mother, uh, we were the first recipients of care um, under the Children Ahead program that that foundation runs, okay. um, providing um, social support and um, uh advocacy um and um really helping me to navigate the maze um of services and so forth that i was involved in and and case management so being the first recipient of that that's um it was it was i didn't realize how big it was back then and how Mm -hmm. how much of an impact it actually made on my life but um they really uh had a huge impact in terms of our recovery um, and anyone that experiences trauma or family violence, um, that initial stage of um, being able to seek support and get support when it's needed is is a really pivotal moment and really um, imperative to recovery and getting uh, the right, taking the right steps to recovery. So um, now um, that I, uh, am able to and in the right space to be able to it's um, such an honor to be able to give back um, in my capacity as an ambassador for that foundation as yeah, someone who's had lived experience um, yeah. with the foundation because i can share my story um, with the knowledge and and share to donors and so forth of that foundation the impact that the foundation actually had on the lives of grant and i um, letting them know exactly where their money goes and so forth and um the impact that it's had on the lives of grant and i yeah Mm. so like you're a living testimony of how much this uh foundation has supported those children Mm. in need that have gone through um family violence 
which yeah, is good. absolutely. Yeah. And I think the the one thing that I love about the foundation um, and the work that is done with the Children Ahead program as part of that foundation is that um, for me, it's about breaking a cycle um, in family violence and um, children who experience family violence often then go on to uh, be the perpetrators of family violence or, um, or uh, experience abuse um, or uh, are the perpetrators of abuse later on in life, et cetera. Um, and so, um, or experience a life that is um, less than um, what they deserve. Um, and um, so breaking the cycle is twofold in the sense that it should we want to break the cycle of family violence, but we also want to break the cycle of them um, feeling as though they are not deserving of a life um, that they can lead and that they should be able to lead and that they are deserving of um, because often people who experience family violence um, feel that they're not valued and that they're um, yeah. worthy of um, achievements and so forth. Yeah. And I guess this comes into play how you're so an advocate so much for mental health as well, because how much um, physical violence is uh, impacts, but is also impacted by mental health in a sense. So, um, mm. and that's how we found each other through uh, a mental health uh, support page on Instagram. So, um, mm. but along, sorry. No, go for it. Why don't you continue? <laughs> I was going to say, I think, um, I think uh, I, I don't. I don't see myself. Uh, other other people may view me as an advocate for mental health. Um, I I don't necessarily view myself as an advocate for mental health. Um, what I view myself as is someone who experiences mental health, um, uh, as we all do. Um, that is that is very aware of his own mental health um, and is willing to share his experiences so that others may grow from that. Um, and I think um, there is uh, and no judgment here on anyone at all um, in the community. Um, I think anyone that shines a light on mental health is um, worthy of praise. Um, let me just put that out there from the get go. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, a lot of people um, who uh, jump on the bandwagon of being an advocate for mental health um, who um, do not have a lived experience or um, are not willing to acknowledge that um, that lived experience should be paramount um, in, in how they drive that message, I guess. Um, and so mm. really my advocacy for awareness um, purely comes from my own experience. Um, yeah. And the only way that um, I should be viewed um, and, uh, you know, anyone listening to this um, should not view me as an expert um, on mental health or, or anything yeah. I don't claim to be. Um, really, the only way that I should be viewed is someone who's had experience with their own mental health um, and who has um, an awareness and who's done a great deal of work um, in getting to the place that he's got to um, with yeah. um appropriate support um and you know i'd be more than happy to share those uh in terms of how i've i've got there but um but that's the only thing that 
I'm an expert on um, is my own mental health. I don't claim to be an expert on anyone else's. And I think that's, that's pertinent in anyone who um, uh, shares anything uh, in relation to mental health. Yeah, I do find that as well, that a lot of people are putting out there um, that they uh, are sharing so much, I guess, opinions or um, information, especially from um, studies that are being shown and stuff like that. Um, and forget that, you know, everyone has their own individual story and everyone is their mm. own expert of um, of themselves and what mm. they've experienced. Mm. Um, and that their yeah. experience is obviously going to be completely different to how someone else perceives what they've experienced, if that makes sense. So how me perceiving yeah. uh, the story that you're telling me, I still can't comprehend how much trauma you went through and how much you how much you experienced each emotion in, in that um, in the grieving process as well. So mm. I'm not, I'm not an expert on uh, your story. Mm. Only you are. Um, yeah, and nor nor should you be expected to. I think, and that's that's yeah. the important thing to remember is that um, trauma, mental health, um, whatever it may be. Um, it's relative to the person and, and should remain relative to the person in mm. my view. So um, there is, whilst empathy should be at the forefront of everyone's mind always um, and displaying empathy so that we can begin to understand um, and only begin to understand because we can never fully understand. Yeah. Um, we can never fully um, understand because um, anyone's experience of mental health or um, what is going to work for them um, is going to be relative to them and their experiences. So yeah. um, it would it would be, um, I think, actually counterproductive for us um, to apply for anyone to apply generalist, um, vague, or um, idealistic views to. Uh, the general population in the hope that it would help everyone. Um, yeah. We can only learn from, um, you know, everyone's it's like, it's like I say to my students that, uh, you know, there are in classes, um, there are bits that there are some teachers that will offer you certain things in certain ways. Um, you take little bits from each teacher in order to build your own nursing career. Yeah. Um, and that's exactly how mental health, um, in my view, uh, should be approached in that um, you take tools, I'm going to call them tools from yeah. um, people that you, you come across and enter your life um, and you learn what strategies and what tools work for you best um, in order to grow and um, personally develop and um, gain an understanding and insight into your own mental health. If you see because often as humans we want a quick fix to things so mm. um we want an idealistic um generalist uh you know study that might be published or um a claim that this worked for this person um yeah. so we think uh you know that that oh that will work for me yeah, um, exactly, yeah. you know and then um uh, we find out very quickly that um a one-size-fits-all approach is not uh, appropriate for mental health or doesn't in fact work. So yeah. um, the only way to approach it is that um, certain components of what's being offered by 
whoever it may be um, in a post might work or or in a you know a webinar or a seminar or something like that might actually work for certain individuals um, but not in its entirety for every single individual um, and yeah, 100% um, it's uh, it's a little like the the magical weight loss pill um, yeah. you know it's it's, uh, it's uh, the quick fix is it sounds in, enticing um, but uh, really all you need to do is eat less and move more, um, you know, and that put in that hard work. Um, and I think mental health um, is exactly the same. Um, it's a, a long-standing, um, uh, routine-driven um, mm. process of constant work. And there are ebbs and flows in mental health that um, mean that you fluctuate um, up and down and we we have to learn to live with those fluctuations and that's the only way that I've been able to um, really gain insight into my own mental health is by learning to sit with each emotion as it comes into my life so um, if I for example uh, in my 20s um, uh, I had very poor insight into my mental health um, and uh, if I was feeling quite down um, or um, feeling quite anxious. Um, I used to um, really analyze that in my head to a point where I would punish myself um, in my head. So I would um, uh, wonder why I was feeling like that. And I would really um, analyze it to the point where I would torture myself mm -hmm. with the emotions of why is this happening to me? Why am I different? Um, why am I experiencing this emotion? Um, and that in itself was torturous. Um, and it didn't actually allow for the experience of emotion that we as humans simply need to feel. Mm. Um, I take the approach now, and it, it's honestly only been the last four or five years that I've, I've actually taken this approach after, after many failed attempts, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> um, of, of trying to, um, gain, uh, not control, but, but trying to gain an understanding of how best to, uh, you know, move and, and allow and operationalize, um, emotions, I guess, because, um, we have to realize as humans that emotions, do fluctuate and they change on a regular basis, you know, and um, we can't as a society expect that a hundred percent of the time we will be happy, engaged, um, energetic yep. uh, individuals. <laughs> yeah. um, and there is an expectation. I, I don't know how you feel about this, Sandra, but there is an expectation, uh, especially with social media that, <clears throat> that everyone is out there, is happy, living their best life, um, you know, energetic and um, not feeling any emotions whatsoever other than happiness and, and a zest for life. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but actually what I've learned to do is um, I have shit days on the regular, um, you know, and uh, I have, I have shit hours on the daily, um, you know, um, and what I do during those periods is I allow myself to sit with those emotions and I actually hold them and I acknowledge 
them and I say, I'm actually feeling really dark at the moment. Um, and uh, what I need is to um, close myself off for a moment. Mm. Um, often, mm. often hold my two hours and uh, just be in the moment. Um, yeah. And it's amazing what just being present with that emotion and allowing yourself to feel it. It's uncomfortable to start with, but just feeling it and allowing yourself to hold it um, and sit with it for an hour, two hours or overnight or, or even two days sometimes, you know, (laughs) Um, a a week sometimes, whatever, depending on the, on the, um, you know, caliber of, of what's happened, Mm -hmm. um, allowing yourself to do that, you come out the other end just so refreshed and renewed and with a with an increased capacity to deal with things so uh yeah what's what's your thoughts on that the same thing with what we were saying about um well let's go back to how you're saying because i'm i'm guilty of this sometimes and this this more prominent uh probably a few years ago where i would use the one a quick fix one thing and usually mine mm. would be because uh, for me when I was a teenager mine was writing in a journal I have like 15 little mini journals where I'd write poems and uh, write my feelings in um, and express them through poetry and I would mm. tell everyone like and when, then when a study came out you know saying like creative writing or a creative uh, process of any sort like video editing um, or you know script writing poetry uh, novel writing, anything form of writing, uh, and even just journaling at night actually helps relieve stress, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And I would tell that to as many people as I can, like especially any that would um, promote or would not promote, but would explain that they've, they're feeling any sense of anxiousness or anything. So be like, mm. dude, you got to just write in a journal. Mm. Um, and learned very, or probably really slowly, not very quickly, very slowly I learned that um, how much my ego was overdriven and my self-righteousness was overridden by ego <laughs> that mm. I'll tell people, but then they'll do like, for example, they'll try it once, but like, no, nah, it's not for me. And I'll be like, well, you're putting yourself in a, in your own, um, in your own pit when really realizing everyone, like you said, everyone's different of how they cope or how they deal with, um, their mental health. And, um, they need to figure out for themselves what best, what process best suits them. And I find a lot of times, obviously, especially being in the gym, a lot of time it's guys going to the gym and exerting their energy, uh, their mental Mm. energy through physical energy. Um, and they just want to, they want to, uh, physically exert all that tension or that anxiousness. And once they're out of the gym, they're, they're fine for that, for that hour for uh, after that hour. So, yep. Um, but definitely, again, with the social media, there's a lot of this presence where it's all about. Um, I think well, I'll just st- say on that point as well um, that um, sometimes we have to accept um, that not everybody wants to be helped. You know, too, sometimes, yeah. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes, um, sometimes people just actually want to share that they're experiencing something mm-hmm. um, without um, us fixing that or without us, you know, our innate um, kind of notion as human beings is that we want to take away anyone's pain that they're experiencing. That's kind mm-hmm. of ingrained within us as humans because we have yeah. that emotional connection with, with people. Yeah. Um, uh, that that empathy, I guess, is is that we want to yeah. put a, a silver lining around things and kind of turn it around for them because 
Uh, and using what has worked for us is one way that we can do that. Um, yeah, but yeah. in order to do that, we have to recognize, um, in, or in order to be successful in doing that, we have to recognize that, um, not everyone actually wants that. Some people are actually quite happy um, saying, I'm in a shit space in my life mm. right now. Yeah. Um, I just want to blur yeah. out with you. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And um, I don't want you to suggest anything. I don't want you to, you know, try and fix it because sometimes, um, you know, and I'm guilty of this too, um, is, is trying to take away something or trying to suggest something sometimes, uh, sometimes people just, just need to verbalize it. And that yep. is their fix. Do you yes. know what I mean? That is yes. there, but, um, it can become counterproductive sometimes where people start going over and over it with, with multiple people. And then they're just actually perpetuating the anxiety or whatever it might be that they're experiencing. Yep. Um, and, you know, that, that can be a thing, but, um, but sometimes, you know, they don't need to be fixed as such, or they just yes. actually need to vent. Um, yeah. and that's okay, you know, uh, but because I think, you know, you and I are similar in that, um, we spend so much time working on ourselves yeah. that we assume, we assume that everyone wants to be in that light, you know, yeah. um, yeah. and it, it, it's difficult for us because, not everyone does uh, and yeah, not everyone's exactly. happy to kind of reflect on themselves in the way that we do. So, yeah, um, or they, they don't want to. Yeah. 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 I feel that's the same. It's, it's a lot of people just want to verbalize and get it out there. And it's a time, time, time. Sorry. I talk really fast. Sometimes and there's a hundred, hundred thoughts going through my head. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I, you're talking I, talking to someone with ADHD. It's all good. <laughs> excellent. So you catch every word I say. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> um, I find when I was, especially even two years ago, uh, my ego trip of, um, well, along the lines of wanting to fix them, but I would have to learn and go, who am I really, to put myself in such mm. a high established place or on a pillar to think that I have the power to fix them when really they only have the ability to really fix themselves. It's a, upon them mm. to take the responsibility to fix themselves. I can obviously make yes, suggestions and advice, but, and I, even, even two years ago, I would get upset when people didn't take that advice on and didn't, um, uh, didn't progress or didn't move forward. And I would be like, you came to me, asking for some advice. Sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't. I'd give you advice. You don't take that advice on and you're not progressing. So why do you keep complaining about your life? And I think it was just my mm. self-righteous egotism thinking that I was on a higher, higher place and really it's just like, no, 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 I'm not on a higher place at all. Like mm. I'm just on my own journey and they're on their own journey. I don't think it's, I don't think it's necessarily you being on, um, uh, putting yourself on a pedestal as such, but I, th I think um, it is it is frustrating sometimes when um, when you um, put a great deal of work into self improvement and um, you work um, very very hard to um, uh, acknowledge, I guess. Mm. emotional growth um mm. and and work you know uh, hard with emotional growth but then you see other people who are not willing to put that work in sometimes when they when they desperately need to um, 100% <laughs> the, the point that that I guess um and it, it just is very frustrating when there are people um that that 
constantly complain and so forth when um, you're like, well, you know, I've told you like 20 times, you know, this is perhaps the pathway that you need to continue commence on, you know, that, that you need to change your perspective in order to, um, you know, commence a, a change yeah. on this path. But um, the, the thing that I've realized, um, and, and that's very hard for me because I'm a, I'm a natural teacher, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I teach and, and I've gone into, I've been lecturing now for eight years. Oh, wow. um, and uh, yeah. Um, and so for me, when someone comes to me with an issue, um, uh, I want to teach, you know, that that's my natural inclination is to, yeah, yeah. to teach and to, to draw. And so um, if I've learned something in my life, I want to impart that knowledge on, on with someone else and, and kind of share that. Yeah. Um, but we have to realize that not everyone wants to accept um, what we have to offer um, mm. in, in what I call the marketplace of life. Um, mm. You know, like we, we kind of go to these um, marketplaces uh, where you're selling some advice and someone else is selling some advice and it's really up to the individual whether or not they buy and whether yep. they have um, enough money to buy and, and yeah. in terms of, you know, if we're talking, you know, marketplaces, commodities, whether they have the goal to buy what you're selling or whether they actually are interested in the fruit that you're selling, et cetera, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's really, when you put it in those terms, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but the other thing that I realized, um, and I said that, you know, up until kind of four years ago, really, I uh, didn't manage um, emotionally very well. I actually managed my emotions by overeating, um, not exercising, um, chugging down a pack of Dunhill Blue a day and drinking too much whiskey mm. um, uh, until my health got to a point where um, – I was 137 kilos. Um, wow. I had, uh, I um, really uh, had warning signs of um, diabetes. I had um, uh, warning signs of liver failure. Um, and um, there were lots of other um, health issues kind of starting to appear for me. Um, I, I couldn't walk up a, a one flight of stairs without kind of getting out of breath, you know? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, and then I made a change in my life, um, that was well overdue. I, ch I, I changed a number of things that were needing to be changed, um, in order to allow me to move forward. Mm. But, and it doesn't matter what they were, but, uh, because I'm not going to let people buy into the one size fits all approach by listening to this. But mm. um, the thing was that it put those changes, put me in the right mindset mm. to be able to address the core issues of what was causing my mental health mm. to decline. Mm. Um, and what I realized at that point, when I started to change things for myself and really started to see that health overall, physical, mental, um, social, um, is actually all so interlinked. And unless yes. we address it all together yes, 100%. Um, in combination, yep. we're actually never going to get balance. So I took the approach of um, exercising. I changed 
my diet in balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I started seeing a psychologist every fortnight. Um, I started seeing a psychiatrist once a month. Um, I um, started walking every day. Um, yeah, yeah. I listened to James Smith um, book and started taking tips from him in terms of just little steps to increase my daily activity. So things like parking the car further away from the supermarket, you know, just to increase calorie output, Um, you know, calories in versus calories out. (laughs) Um, So from a physical perspective, um, things changed as well. Um, But the mental um, health stuff, I realized that all I needed was to be in the right space um, to be able to address, yeah, to start to address because I'll, I'll never, and I, I would hate to think that anyone would say and make the claim that they are totally one hundred percent mentally healthy, mm, um, yeah, no. because <laughs> I think that that would be a lie, yeah. um, to be honest, because uh, or they're fooling themselves. Um, uh, and they need a real reality check if they say that, um, and they're, they're probably avoiding something. Um, but, uh, I needed to be in the right space in order to start to address or begin to address what it was that I was avoiding my entire life. Um, and it wasn't until that I was in the right space to be able to do that and the right mindset, um, of, I can tackle this one step at a time. Um, it's going to be a very slow process, um, mm-hmm. but I need to have patience with myself and I need to acknowledge that the end game mm. of personal growth is what I'm aiming for here yeah. Um, yeah. and not a quick fix. And yeah. when I got into that mindset, my whole world changed. Mm. Um, my relationships changed. Um, my, um, interactions changed with people, my ability to exercise changed. I had motivation. Um, I learned, I still have emotions. I still have shit days, like I said, and Mm -hmm. I still have to go to bed and just shut off in the world and cuddle my two hours. Um, you know, and, um, uh, and, um, but I acknowledge those, I hold them, um, And then I move on, you know, and I have the capacity to do that because I'm not afraid to deal with the ebbs and flows of my emotions. Um, And it's not until someone's able to do that, I believe, um, that they're truly in a space that they can really grow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do. I did even come across for the past two or three months reading books and listening to audio, um, sorry, podcasts, that concept of being in the space. Like when you go to do, and we'll just uh, compare this with physically working out, you, you physically go to, if you, if you go to the gym, a physical space mm. where it's set mm. and prepared to make you feel safe in that area, but to also push and exert yourself um, to tear those muscle fibers, you know, and they've got mm. machines there that if you're used properly, they're safe, but if they're mm. not used properly, they're quite dangerous. <laughs> mm. And, and you've got to think of the brain in a similar way. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly mm. what it is. You have to put yourself in a, in a, in a safe space so that you can experiment or push your boundaries of where you need to be to grow. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. And I think a lot of people 
don't allow it to themselves to be put in that space. Like like you said, um, you uh, ate or you you drank. Um, you used other coping mechanisms to to in a, probably in a sense. Um, I took drugs as well. I'll be honest about oh, that. Fuck. You know, I, I, I took, yeah, yeah, it was, it was, I thought I was living a life that was fun, uh, uh, yeah. you know, but, um, but actually what I was doing is just avoiding dealing with my emotions, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and I won't, I, I didn't, um, I thankfully didn't get to a point with, with any drug taking that, that it was, um, what I guess would be classed as a clinical addiction. Um, mm, yeah. but, um, but certainly, um, for parties and things like that, I, I certainly, um, you know, engaged in drug taking behavior. And that's something that I'm, I'm actually, um, very disappointed in myself for because, um, mm. the reason for taking those is what I'm disappointed in. It's not, not the fact that I took drugs because, yeah, 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 um, yeah. I actually don't have an issue with people, engaging in drug taking behavior, if they're doing it for the right reasons, that's, but that's another debate that we yes. could have. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, we'll leave that one for another podcast. Uh, but, uh, but the reasons that I was taking those drugs was to escape what yes. I was actually trying to avoid. And I was trying to avoid dealing with my emotions yeah. Um, yeah. and what I was carrying. And so um, the escape mechanism of all of those elements of alcohol, cigarettes, drugs, food, um, et cetera, um, they were crutches in, they were my emotional tool belt instead of um, psychology, counseling, um, medications, mm. uh, you know, physical activity, um, social support structures, yep. um, acknowledging yep. the emotions that I need to acknowledge, um, and, um, just being me, um, mm. acknowledging that I am good enough and that the world, um, will accept Ashton Klein, regardless of whether it wants to or not. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that that's, and now that I live with that and, and I have that notion in my life every day that, um, I am what I am and, um, it's, uh, and I just live in the present. Um, it's mm. a far better life. I tell mm. you, it's a, it's a far better life. I, I'm no longer anxious about the past, I'm no longer anxious about the future. Um, it's purely about we deal with what we need to deal with and we'll we'll deal with it as it arises. Um, yeah, exactly. and it's such a such a good space to be in. There's a there's a book that I was reading recently. Um uh, and I think I might have shared it on my Instagram, but it's called The Alchemist. Um oh, yeah, yeah. and um but there's a there's a quote in there uh, that says uh, basically um, I, I don't live um, in either my past or my future. Um, I'm interested only in the present. Um, and if you can concentrate always on the present, you'll be a happy man. Life will be a party for you, a grand festival, because mm. life is the moment we're living now. Um, yeah. And um, I just I just love that because everything that I was living previously was either the past or the future. I was either worried about the future mm -hmm. or I was living in the past. Yeah. Um, I was never actually present with the here and now. And now that I am, life is a party, yeah. uh, but not the party, not the party that I used to go to taking cocaine and, you know, uh, ecstasy. It's a yeah, totally yeah. different party. Yes, definitely. <laughs> and I a find party that, that party... I never, yeah, the party's Sorry. much better. 
There's no come down either. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the party is uh, no longer needing to be with people. It's more like, I'm just happy to be with myself, really. Yeah. Like, and well, it's interesting because when I am with people, um, I don't need the enhancements of cocaine stimulants etc that i used to need mm, uh yeah. to get over their social anxiety etc uh of of being around people so it's um uh, you know now people are like are you high and i'm like nope just actually happy yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it <laughs> funny it's 10 a.m i'm not on cocaine <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so funny <laughs> uh, all right so it's close to uh the time that you said you needed to go yes yeah sorry i've talked too much i got three uh, yeah three random quick questions <clears throat> Ooh. um if you had wait one second if you had if you could choose three superpowers what would they be and why Ooh. Are they like, uh, okay, can I get some clarity? Because I always like to deal with them. I know they were quick questions. I'm sorry, but there's no such thing in my mind. <laughs> Any superpowers? Uh, are these like superpowers that I can make up or are they superpowers like the typical ones? Like, um, oh, you, you know, you it's got to be like invisibility or something, you know, like something, something typical like that. Yeah. Any, any. You, you, you're talking to a neuro atypical person here. So. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, so, I'm scared now. Yeah. <laughs> no. Um, well, superpower. So three, right? Yep. Three. Um, so superpower um, number one would be actually quite a quite a funny one so it would be to be able to force people's cameras on in zoom classes um <laughs> so, uh, uh because i just want engagement with people right i i okay. think engagement so you're so, saying that when you're in a class, everyone's got their cameras off sometimes and you're uh, there going, come on, put your, put your camera yes. on. I want to see you. And and I'm talking about life. Like this is also a thing with life. So I also, so as that's also, so this one, that's, this is one big umbrella superpower yeah. with me, right? Okay. <laughs> it's like the power to force engagement is the umbrella term. All right. So not only do I want to turn on people's Zoom cameras when they're in a Zoom meeting, I also want people to bloody pick up their phones like when you call them and they don't have your number, all right? Because people screen their phones like no tomorrow now and they expect you to send them a message. And it's like, no, just talk to me, you know? Like <laughs> we can engage as humans. Yeah. Like we could have a conversation like come on like, i was trying to i was trying to set up a meeting with someone recently um and i said oh yeah let's jump on zoom um oh no 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 i don't want to jump on zoom that, that's like too confronting um I, i'll jump on uh i'll jump on a call between these times and this time you know and i was like oh 
you kind of taken the the excitement out of it for me. You know, I yeah. kind of don't want to kind of don't want to engage with you. I think you're, you know, maybe a bit of a dick because uh, I don't I don't really know this person. But I'm like, if you if you can't take ownership of yourself in terms of um, facing me and engaging in eye contact mm. and being a human, then I don't know if I want to know you. You know, like. Yeah, I just yeah, I don't yeah. know this person well enough to be able to judge yet, but I'm like, just be you and you know take ownership of that because I'm always like, here's a Zoom link, let's jump on Zoom, you know? Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. And that's what <laughs> and it's just, so uh, has always been with, especially with face to face. Like we're missing out on that so yeah. much. So Zoom is like a blessing. <laughs> yeah. Well, so well, I kind of think. Well, were these people like hiding in their rooms before? You know? Probably. I I don't know. Yeah. They, well, they just do don't they have their makeup not, on, so they're just like, oh, I can't do it now. <laughs> well, no, because it's not engagement in a in like a it's it's disengagement to a new level. That's what I see. Like, especially yes. as a lecturer, I'm like, they are just like not engaging at all. And I'm like, wow. Anyway, so that's so force engagement. So, okay, so th- that superpower is actually a thing where you can, if if, if it's if you're talking about technology, especially. Oh, technology. don't don't that's tell me right. that there's a thing that you can do, right? Yeah, that's actually a, a superpower. I don't know what the tech, the term is, like tell us something, but I don't know what the actual oh, the okay. term is. Perfect. But there is, but there is the ability to do that. Yeah, second superpower. Right. <laughs> uh, second superpower. Look, I, I'm I'm a very sexual person, so I just want to I just want want the ability to like X-ray vision, like and see. Oh, so you want Superman's uh, X-ray vision? Sure, no worries. Yeah, but yeah. So yeah, cool. Yeah, uh, we won't go into. Uh, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, and the third one, um, the ability to be uh, an ear on the wall. So I'm not going to say a fly on the wall, but an ear on the wall in any place. So, uh, to tap into any conversation because, because knowledge is power. So, uh, you know, yep. (laughs) There we go. What a, what a range of, um, superpowers and, uh, what a powerful being I would be with those. Uh, No privacy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've breached. I've breached every privacy privacy law there is in existence. Exactly. Uh, but, but I will. I will use it. Uh, yeah. um, constraint. I promise. Except. Except the second one. That one will just be used everywhere. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just imagine that's that's probably the pinnacle one, and then you would use the other powers to take advantage. Well, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't actually want to um, put that as number one because that was the most important. But I thought I'll decrease the value of that by putting it as number two, just yes, to sir. take, take, take off that one. Yeah. Yep, sure, no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Question number two, really quickly. Mm. Three. We're okay. We, we're having a pizza and movie night. Yeah. Mm. And you, you can invite mm. three guests, and they can be dead or alive. Mm. Who would you invite? Uh, Goff Whitlam. Okay. Uh, yep. Uh, a bit of a bit of a politics uh, kind of uh, kind of um, enthusiast, I guess. So yep. uh, loved loved a bit of Goff Whitlam um, and loved Are you his approach use your to on him too. Or <laughs> this doesn't do it for me in that way. Look, as a like as a yeah, as a bisexual man, I'm just man <laughs> with like everyone that you're going to invite. <laughs> I'm there going, oh no. <laughs> Look, 
so God, here I am trying to be serious, uh, you know. <laughs> uh, so we've got Goff Whitlam. Yeah. Um, we have also um, got, got my brother. Yeah. Um, and we've also got... Uh, John Kudis, who um, uh, I've met a couple of times, actually. He uh, was born without legs um, and um, he experienced uh, an enormous amount of uh, um, being and um, so forth. Uh, Through his childhood, he was, I remember one story he was telling me one day, uh, he was thrown into thrown into a primary school and it was lit on fire um, oh, wow. um, by uh, children in the playground. Um, he um, he also had testicular cancer when he was growing up. And one of the funniest stories that he ever told me was um, he came out on came out on edge at a, a conference that I was at. This is when I first met him um, before I met him personally, and um, he came out and he said. Um, Oh, I had testicular cancer and yes, I've lost both my nuts. Um, my wife and I are currently um, uh, trying to um, have a baby. Now, unfortunately, I'm shooting blanks, um, but gee, it's fun trying. He's kind of kind of my kind of guy in terms of he's got a humor dark humor about things about things and really that humor gets you through life as i yes. as i you know um yeah. as i i have demo think to you over the year i've known you <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely <laughs> all right and last question one piece of advice that you would give to your younger self ah uh, be be you much earlier yeah. Uh, because the happiness that I'm experiencing now, thing now, being um, I, I don't regret, but I'm disappointed that I haven't, didn't get to experience that, experience that happiness sooner. Um, and um, it's only come with an acknowledgement that I can actually be me, um, and being me is not something that I should be ashamed of. Um, and for years i tried to be someone else um and that ultimately led to uh depression anxiety and um a suicide attempt um and um it almost destroyed me um and what i would say now um is don't be afraid of actually being different uh being different in today's world is something that should be embraced and celebrated um, because in a world where everyone is the same and everyone seeks to be the same um, uh, diversity is actually something that um, needs to be celebrated and um, my favorite thing to say at the moment is uh, with unity comes diversity yes you said you said mm. that quite often, mm. <laughs> which is good. Mm. It is good. It needs mm. to be reinforced, I feel. Mm. Well, thank you so much for um, joining me on this podcast. Um, it's a great conversation. Thank you. Great to get to it know was, you. It was great. More. Likewise. Thanks for having um, me. No worries. And uh, I'll see you around. <laughs> Likewise. Thanks, mate. No Cheers. Worries.